0: All right, uh, we're going to go for a little walk today, <clears throat> uh, figuratively, not actually, so keep your seat. Uh, we're going to go for a little walk through parts of the Gospel of John. We're gonna, if you want to open your Bible, if you have a Bible, open to chapter 4, we're going to look at some passages from chapter 4, 5, and 6, and just kind of walk through that. I'll say this, that I remember when I was at Emory, and I had to, uh, everybody had to preach a sermon, To graduate, just one. Uh, I never took a preaching class. Uh, Don't comment on that. Uh, I never took a preaching class. I went to two seminaries, and and I graduated with two degrees. And nobody ever required that I take a preaching class. I think it was required. Somehow I slipped through, but I did preach this one sermon, uh, and I preached from the Gospel of John. And I, I remember. My professor's asking me, why, why would you choose the Gospel of John? And I said, why not? And they said, because it's so spiritual. Okay. If that's a problem. All right, so <laughs> we're going to walk through uh, G- the Gospel of John uh, 4, 5, and 6. And, it, and, and I'll just warn you up front that it's, it's spiritual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so why don't we pray, and then we'll jump into this. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We invite you to come fill this place. We invite you to speak. Uh, we, op- we pray that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say and open our hearts to receive it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're familiar with, with the Gospel of John and, and You know that in chapter four, Jesus has an encounter uh, with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. And so after that happens, uh, Jesus is approached by a person who is identified as a royal official. And he tells Jesus his son is sick and he wants Jesus to pray for his son to be healed. And Jesus says, You can go home. You can go home, Uh, your, your son is healed. And then Jesus says this in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 48. He says to the people, unless you see miracles and signs and wonders, you won't believe. Unless you see miracles and signs and wonders, you won't believe. So then moving on to chapter 5, <clears throat> Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Everybody is moving Towards Jerusalem, all the Jewish people are moving towards Jerusalem because it's festival season. So they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festivals, and Jesus comes uh, to a place called the Pool of Bethesda, and the Pool of Bethesda is a place where sick people would gather uh, because they believed that this pool had healing properties, and when, when the water would move, uh, first one in gets healed, and so that's why they gather there. And this particular man is there, but his issue being a little different than some of the sick people is that he's lame. And so he can never make it to the pool in time. He's always lacking. Somebody else always gets there before him. And so uh, Jesus sees him, and he asks him, do you want to be well? And then he tells the man, uh, pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. And he does. And the Jewish leaders get upset with Jesus at this point. Now, they're, they're not upset that he healed the man. They're upset at when he healed the man. And they, you know, they tell him, you know, hey, it's the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And picking up your mat is work. And so it's not that we hate what you did, you just did it wrong, right? You just did it at the wrong time. And I just want to say, uh, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about a critical spirit. This is a critical spirit. A critical spirit can always find something wrong. Now, here's what I want you to, un- to understand and grasp about this. Both when we talk about a critical spirit now and when we look back and, and talk about a critical spirit in, in scripture, I'm not talking about a critical attitude. I'm talking about a critical spirit. Uh, I'm talking about a demonic spirit that pervades our culture and tries to lure you into criticism. Finding something wrong with everything. Everything. You can just see these people, if you put them in a modern day context, you can see them look at Jesus and say, Sure, you healed him, but, Sure, you you did a great thing, but, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so, Jesus says, I'll only do what the Father says. It was a pretty good answer i uh, only do what the Father says. And then he says this, whoever hears me and believes the one who sent me has life. Whoever hears me and believes the one who sent me has life. So then, as we continue this fast movement, uh, in chapter 6, Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee, and people follow him. And it says plainly in Scripture that they're following him because of the miracles. They've seen the miracles. They like the miracles. They're following Jesus because of the miracles. And a large crowd follows, and they go up a mountainside, and Jesus turns and he sees uh, that there's a large crowd that's followed him, and, and, and he realizes that, you know, it's late in the day. They haven't eaten. He looks at Philip, and he says to Philip, where are we going to find food for this many people? And I don't know, I, I read the Gospels, and I see the humor of Jesus. Uh, a lot of what I see, I'm sure, is just me. A lot of it is, is I see things Jesus saying things that are funny and even borderline sarcastic because that's kind of who I am. And so maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, if I'm trying to make Jesus like me instead of me like Jesus, then I confess and repent of that right now. But it does kind of seem like he's funny. You know, I mean, he looks at, at Philip and he's, it's, I can just see him like, oh my, what are we gonna do? You know, all these people, where are we gonna find food? Knowing good and well what he's about to do. And Philip says, "Board, Eight months of wages wouldn't buy enough food for these people. And then Andrew. Don't you love Andrew? Andrew says, hey, I found a lunch. I have a Happy Meal. I have a little boy's lunch, Lord. I'm keeping the toy, but the rest of it's yours to use, however you wish. And so Jesus sits him down, and he feeds him. He feeds the crowd and they have more food left over than they had when they started. And so what does that mean? Well, it's another miracle. And so the people say, you are the prophet. Not you are a prophet. You are the prophet. You're the one. This miracle. Okay, he's done a lot of miracles. Isn't it odd that the miracle that made them say he's the prophet, was the one that fed their belly? And he, he'll say something about that later. But they say, you are the prophet. And Jesus, knowing that the desire of their heart is to force him to be king, slips away. Now, in verses 16 through 24, a little insignificant thing, he walks on water. And... Uh, Interesting thing about that is that they figure it out. Now, the disciples see it, but the other people figure it out because they, they, they know that the disciples went, only one boat went across the sea, and Jesus wasn't on it. But then the next day, he's over there with them. And so they ask him, how'd you get here? And Jesus says to them, you're looking for me. You're interested in me. You're seeking me. You're asking questions about me because you ate the bread and were full. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, and and get this, because there's a chance that we could miss this whole thing because we would say, you know, I've never been on a mountainside where Jesus did this unbelievable miracle of feeding 5,000 people with a happy meal. That's never happened in my life, so I don't really... I'm not in this story, Um, but what Jesus is saying to them is, you're following me because I met your needs. And and even more so, you're following me because I met a physical need. And and Jesus' response to them is, don't work for food that spoils don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And they, and they say, what do we have to do? And I would just, it would be an interesting thing just to go through the Gospels and see how many times Jesus makes an incredibly spiritual statement and the response from the people is, well, what do we need to do? Because we always think, That the key to life is doing something. And so, what do we have to do? And Jesus says, believe. And they say, well, what miracles and signs will you do to make us believe? And then they go on and say, our fathers ate manna. You got any manna? Maybe manna. If you could give us some manna, maybe that would do it. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. And Jesus says, Moses didn't give your fathers manna. My father gave you. My father gave your fathers the manna. So what their forefathers had experienced in the wilderness was they received bread or manna from heaven. And it was a gift from God. And Jesus then says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So so Jesus is saying to them, your fathers received manna from heaven, from my father. And today, what you're looking for, the life that you're looking for, also is a gift from heaven. When bread comes down from heaven, that's what you're looking for. That's the key to life. That's what you need. And they say, in verse 34 of chapter 6, give us this bread. It's kind of like the woman at the well when Jesus describes to her about the river of life. Give me that water. The water that you drink that you're never thirsty again, I want that. But she's thinking about it from a physical standpoint because she doesn't want to have to draw water from a well all the time. They're thinking about it from a physical standpoint. Give us this bread that you can eat and you're never hungry again. And in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. You have seen me, and you still don't believe. And the question is, that Jesus really seems to be asking them is this what, what's it gonna take for you to believe? At every turn, they're asking for just one more sign. Lord, just one more sign. You, you ever been there? I, I was 28, maybe 27. I was a youth pastor at First Methodist here in Marietta, and it was a Sunday night. And there was a particular person in the congregation that I knew needed prayer. And as the end of the service neared um, and the invitation was about to be given, I said, Lord, if you want me to pray for that person, just have them go up to the altar and I'll, I'll go pray for them. And sure enough, music started, there they went. And I said, Lord... If you really want me to pray for them, just have them get up and instead of going back to their seat on the left side, have them come right past me on the right-hand side and and I'll pray for them. And so after a few minutes, they get up from the altar and they walk right past me. I mean, almost brush my arm. And then I say, Lord, if you really, so you, you ever been there? Just give me one more sign. Just one more, Lord. Just one more sign. Healing the sick, walking on water, feeding the crowd. There's always one more thing. And, and then they kind of reveal the state of their mind when they say, wait a minute. That's Mary and Joseph's boy. That's Mary and Joseph's boy. What are, what are we even thinking? Why are we even going down this road? That's Mary and Joseph's boy. We know him. And what that reveals to us is that they're not looking for a reason to believe. They're looking for a reason not to believe. In verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna and died. (laughs) But here is the bread that comes down from heaven eat it, and he's saying here is the bread that comes down from heaven. Eat it and never die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then he said this, unless You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Can you imagine the social media firestorm that came after that? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. We worry a lot about offending. Jesus didn't seem to worry too much about that. You know, we we try to craft every word not to offend. And it's almost as if Jesus crafted every word in order to offend. You know, we've been told and taught, especially in preaching, don't leave any questions unanswered. You know, uh, you got people coming who haven't been in church and so you need to make sure that you don't use language they don't understand and yet it seems that all Jesus did was use language that people didn't understand. We can't remove the mystery, y'all. We can't remove the wonder and probably we can't remove the offense. Jesus says it right here. Unless you eat, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood. You have no life in you. And they left. Many, it says, many of them left. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, does this offend you? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Think about that. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Some of you are uh, familiar with a man named Abraham Maslow. and He was an American psychologist. And he uh, developed this, or actually he's famous for his idea of Maslow's hierarchy of need. And these are the five things he says we need. Physical survival, physical safety, being loved and belonging, uh, Self-worth or, or identity. And then fifth is having some sense of purpose, that there's a reason we're here. And I want to say loud and clear that Jesus cares about all of those things. He does. Jesus cares about all of those things, but I, I don't think he would necessarily put them in the same order that Maslow did. Jesus said, The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. Now, uh, it seems that many of us often get it backwards because we believe uh, that our spiritual life is designed to make our physical life better. That's, that's kind of how we think. You know, if I'm connected to God, I won't be sad anymore. If I'm connected to God... I'll be healed, I won't be sick anymore. If I'm connected to God, I won't be poor anymore. I won't be hungry anymore. So we, we connect, we think if, if I get God into my life, my physical life will be better. But the truth is, our, our spiritual life is not designed to make our physical, physical life better. Our spiritual life is designed to connect us to God because really nothing else matters. Everything else is temporary. That's why Jesus says the bread of life leads to eternity. The bread of life is about spiritual birth, spiritual life, because that is the only thing that lasts. And so our emphasis really should be on the thing that lasts. Not hoping that this thing that lasts would make the temporary thing better, even though it probably will. So after many of his followers leave, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave? Are you going to go as well? And Peter says, where would we go? Now, listen to his response. Peter doesn't say, where would we go? You do great miracles. He doesn't say, where would we go? You throw great barbecues, great picnics. Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. The ones who remain, the ones who follow him, they're not the Jesus plus the law crowd. They're not the Jesus plus the miracles crowd, and they're not the Jesus plus the meeting of physical needs crowd. The ones who remain, the ones who follow, are the Jesus is the bread of life crowd. Following Jesus, y'all, is not... The difference between a good life and a bad life. Following Jesus is the difference between life and death. Life and death. Now some, some are waiting for one more thing. Just one more thing, Lord, and I will believe. Some are waiting, some in this room are waiting for one more thing to make you believe. Some are confused over what really matters. And you've kind of gotten maybe the physical and the spiritual upside down. Some are offended. Some of you are offended. A lot are offended by Jesus' people. And some are offended by Jesus himself. And, and really the question of the day is, is as simple as this. If he is, who He says he is, follow him. If he is who he says he is, follow him. Stop looking for reasons not to. Stop waiting for one more thing to convince you. If he is, it's it's that simple. If Jesus is who he says he is, he is worth everything. I would go so far as to say If he is worth anything, he's worth everything. Because if he's not worth everything, then he's not who he says he is. And if he's not who he says he is, he's not worth anything, y'all. So he's either worth everything or nothing. Now, let's pray. Lord, it's as if you are in this room right this minute asking us, are you going to leave? Or are you going to stay? And there's only one reason to stay. Only one reason to stay if we think you're everything. And if we think you're everything, we should be all in off the fence, not waiting for one more miracle, not waiting for one more sign, just all in. And so I pray. I pray that we would be all in. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask our teams if you would come. And uh, get in place. We want to have a time of ministry. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, if you're struggling with any of the things uh, that I mentioned today, we would love uh, to help you with that and pray with you, pray for you. It uh, could be something else. And I uh, just want to circle back around and say that God really does care about all those other things. He does. It's just the eternal is more important than the temporal. But that doesn't mean the temporal is not important. If you need physical healing today, don't, don't feel guilty and say, oh, I can't come and ask for healing. Tom said the physical doesn't matter. I, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. What I mean is the priorities. We need to understand the priorities. So if you need healing today, please come. Let us pray for you.